Now, right there is one of our church's core values. Right in that picture. And this is where I want our church to live. Because this is what faith looks like. This is when faith does its best work. Where it's somewhere between certain and uncertain. Where we don't quite know where the ending is, but where we step out in order to find out what God might do in us and through us. Right here is one of the the nine core values as a church that we have got to somehow get around because so many people, all through their whole life, they avoid risk and they avoid the stirrings of God inside of them. And the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, they don't get much in return because they refuse to risk much. And there are a whole bunch of faith communities just like Metro around the world who, 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 who want to play it safe. And they refuse to risk much. But because they refuse to risk much, they never quite fully walk into all that God has for them. They never quite fully understand all that God is leading them into. So over the last several weeks together, we've been in this little series called This Is How We Do It. And it's a series on values, and we've gotten around these little nine words, these nine simple but very, very powerful words that describe what we hold as a church, how we want to treat one another, how we want to treat the world around us, and how we're going to run after God together. Nine words that describe who we are as a people and the kind of community we want to build together. Now, if you miss those, I just cannot encourage you enough, especially if you are interested in the life here at Metro, if you're interested in maybe making this your home church, I cannot encourage you enough to go back to those to those uh, messages and watch them and listen to them for yourself and see if this is the kind of community that you want to be part of. But today we're going to wrap this up with three more words, three more values that I think describe the DNA of our church. And, and friends, we have to get around them because if we're going to become a church that is a next step sort of a church where people who are far from the heart of God can take steps toward God and with God. And those who, maybe like some of us in this room who have been traveling with him for quite a long time, where where we can all take next steps toward God and with God. If we're ever gonna become a next step sort of a church, then these final three must, they must be part of our DNA. And I'm just gonna list them for you. You may wanna even write these down. These are three very important values to the life of our church. It's risk, reach, and together. Risk, we are going to risk much in order to reach more, and we are going to do this together. We are going to risk much in order to give the gospel of Jesus, the grace of God, to more and more people around us. And friends, we are going to figure out how to do this together as one community of faith. Um, when you think about this, this idea of risk, this first value for today, uh, this idea of risking more and, and how God will meet us when we risk, uh, that, that as a church, friends, I don't want us to be afraid to step out even when we don't know. Now think about the story of Jonathan found in 1 Samuel 14 that we just talked through. Think about what was going on in this story. Um, God begins to stir in his heart He begins to press something in his soul, just like many of you, that God stirs something in your heart, and he presses in on some area of your life. And you hear this nudge, you feel this nudge, you sense God's leadership. And in a moment, you have to decide what you are going to do with it. Are you going to risk, or are you just going to play it safe? 
Well, Jonathan decides to risk it. And, and here's the key verse of the whole passage. This is where it all lands. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. Listen to this. This is the most crazy verse, I tell you. This is just crazy talk. But listen to what he says. He feels this stirring from God, and he says to his armor bearer, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Those pagans were the Philistines. If you know anything about history, the Philistines were the biggest, baddest people on planet Earth. They were the superpower of the day. And there's two of them against a whole outpost of Philistines. And he says to his armor bearer, let's go across to the outpost of the, of the pagans. And then he says this. This is crazy. Listen, perhaps, I don't know, maybe, good luck, He says, perhaps the Lord will be with us for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or just a few. And you gotta love that, right? You gotta just love his passion. You just gotta love the man's risk taking, right? He he senses this stirring. He senses this call from God and he says, I I don't know. It might work out for us. What's the other option? We're gonna die. But we're gonna die trying. We're gonna die trying. He, he literally says, all I know is that we were not created to sit around and do nothing. We were not created to sit idly by. As the world slides into hell, he, he says, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know the certain outcome of all this. But all I know is that we were not created to sit by and do nothing in this world. That God will use us that God will choose to do something in us and through us, but we've got to get, get out of our comfort area and move toward him. We've got to risk much in order to receive much. In order to reach more, we've got to risk much. We are called, listen friends, to be faithful. God might help. The outcome is, is not so certain, but I think that's the point, isn't it? that we don't know the outcome. But God is calling us to be faithful to wherever he is leading us, to whatever he is calling you to. He expects you to be faithful in it. And this is the kind of church that I want to become. This is the kind of man I personally want to be, one who is not afraid to listen and hear the voice that comes from God and to do anything I can to move toward that voice to follow his leadership. But so many of us, we, we sit back and we think, well, I don't know, it's maybe not for me. I mean, I mean, I know my life and I know what's in the secrets of my heart and man, this whole kingdom of God thing, that's not me. I mean, I'm not even qualified for this gig. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know what to say or what to do. Or I mean, I got so many things messed up in my life, I, I couldn't even do it. I don't even know what you're talking about. It's not me, it's you. You gotta do this, not me. Friends, listen, if you feel somehow that you are unqualified to be used by God, You need to erase that from your minds. And and you need to be reminded of who it is that God uses over and over and over. Friends, listen. um, You need to be reminded that Moses, you ever hear of a guy named Moses, anybody? (laughs) He stuttered and claimed that he could not uh, talk in front of people, that he was afraid to speak in front of a crowd. David, his armor didn't fit him. Let me tell you something. David was no Captain America. Matter of fact, he said he was, they, they said he was a, 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 a little man, that he, that he was still yet a boy when he faced Goliath. Um, the prophet Hosea, who God used in extraordinary ways, he was married to a prostitute. A man named Amos, who became a great preacher 
and prophet for God. He was a prune tree farmer. Jacob, in Israel, remember the, the old saying, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, Jacob was a known liar. Solomon, or excuse me, David, he had an affair. Solomon could not control his desire for wealth and consumption. Abraham was old. Naomi was a widow. Jonah, Jonah, ever hear of Jonah and the whale? Jonah was known to be disobedient to God, to argue with God, to fight God. And God used him. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas, remember those guys in the scriptures? Anybody? They were doubters. They were skeptics. They weren't sure that they believed what God said was true. They were doubters. Jeremiah, the great prophet of God, one of the men that God used in incredible ways to call his people back to himself, he was suicidal. He battled with thoughts of suicide. Elijah suffered from depression. Timothy had stomach ulcers. Um, uh, Paul was a murderer. Paul, the great man of God, the great apostle, was a murderer. Oh, and by the way, so was Moses. And so was David. They took innocent men and killed them. And God chose to use them anyways. Lazarus, I want to think about this. Excuse me, go back to uh, Peter. Um, Peter was a coward. He denied Jesus. A teenager backed him into the corner. And he denied the one he says he loves most. Lazarus, he was dead. And it is hard to do anything good when you are dead. John the disciple, he was self-righteous. John the Baptist, he was fashion challenged. (laughs) And he had poor eating habits, right? Martha worried. Noah, Noah, anybody here Noah? He had a drinking problem. He had a drinking problem. And God used him. Zacchaeus was short. Anybody remember that story? Anybody know Pastor Greg? He's short, but God uses that man, I tell you that right now. (laughs) David, when God chose to use him, was a teenager. Listen, when God chose to use David, he was a teenager. And so was Mary, and so was Daniel, and so was Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And God used him, and Jesus himself. He was homeless. He was often poor. He he was a common, ordinary laborer. He was a carpenter. His family rejected him. His his community rejected him. His own government crucified him, and the whole world ended up hating him. So if anybody in this room feels underqualified to do the work of God, to risk much to see what God might do in you, then you're barking up the wrong tree. Because God does not call qualified people. There's an old saying that he qualifies the call. That he makes you ready when he calls you. That he gives you words to speak when he calls you. And I, and I want to show you this. And this comes from a verse of, uh, out of Moses' life. God was calling Moses to go and to lead his people out of slavery from the lands of Egypt. And I want you to remember this, maybe you do remember this, that God began to speak to this man named Moses. God began to stir something in Moses' heart. Now, I want you to pause just for a second here. Hold up a second here, because some of you all go, right there is when you're losing me. It is just weird that the scripture says that God began to speak to a man named Moses. God doesn't ever speak to me. That's just weird. 
No, 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 no. It's not weird. And you're wrong. God does speak to you. It's just that most of us are too busy to even notice. Most of us are just too preoccupied to even hear the voice of God in our life. Most of us are so crowded that there is no margin in our life for the Holy Spirit to even speak our name. So you go, no, though, that's weird. No, no, it's not weird. Maybe. It's just that you're not listening to the voice of God. Maybe even if you hear the voice of God, you don't want to really hear it because you know it might cause you to have to change something, to do something, to go somewhere, to sacrifice something, to serve in some way, to go where you are not comfortable going. So don't tell me that it is weird when preachers start saying God speaks to you or God spoke to this man in the old Bible thing. Friends, that is just not true. God speaks. It's not weird. He speaks. You pray. What's weird is that you don't expect to hear back from him. Prayer is both ways. You to God. God to you. And so Moses is hearing from God. He's hearing this stirring from God. He's, he's hearing this whisper from God. He says, God, I'm completely unqualified. God, you completely got the wrong man here. I don't know what you're talking about. There is no way I am going to go in front of anybody and speak anything on your behalf. I am completely the wrong man, G-man. That's what he was saying. And, and listen to God's response in the book of Exodus chapter 4, verse 12. This is amazing. He says, now go. And you're going to love this, right? He says, now go. Well, well, well uh, hold, hold on, let's talk about it. No, 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 Moses, tired of the excuses, now go. I am really busy, really busy. I got the lawn, I got this whole deal, I got to work, and I got to come home, and then the kids got 14. No, 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 now go. Now go. Wait, wait, wait. no, I'm tired of the fear. I'm tired of the laziness. I'm tired of the excuses. Now go, now go, now go, now go. Stop it. Stop making excuses. And God says, now go. And then I love this part. He says, and I will be what? With you. And that's what we want, right? He says, now go and I will be with you as you what? Speak. And I will instruct you in what to say. You see, friends, when we risk much, he meets us. When, when we walk into uncertainty, that is when he shows up and does great things, unexpected things, things that we could never even plan for ourselves. And I, I, I want to say something here, friends, and, and I hope that you... You agree with me? I hope that you join me in this. But friends, I do not want to be a part of a church that simply wants to survive. I simply do not want to be, I do not want to be part of a church that wants to simply make sure the bills are paid and that our kids are happy coming here. And we want to play it safe so that, so that we can just kind of cruise through this life. I do not want to be part of a church like that that refuses to risk much in order to reach more. Friends, because I think God has called us for more. And I want to be a church that steps out in order to find out what God wants. I refuse to be part of a church that we just get old, hoping, hoping that our kids will like coming to church when they get old. I don't want to be a, a, a church that, that people, we, we hope, we go, we hope that people will come from the outside to the inside. No, friends. I want to build that church. I want to make that church. I want to become that church. Y'all with me on this? Amen? Y'all with me? And friends, let me tell you something. This is why we bought another campus. And this is why for over a year now, 
unashamedly and relentlessly, I have been calling you to risk much, to sacrifice much, to come and to serve, to come and to build, to come and to reach with me. Because friends, I don't want to be part of a church that lays over and dies, that gives up and dies. I want to be a church that risks much in order to what? Reach more. In order to reach more. Friends, this is the kind of people that we're going to become. And I hope that you're with me on this. I hope that you come with me on this. And I hope you build this kind of church with me. You hear me, friends? Amen? Amen? This is why we do crazy things around here and we spend ridiculous amounts of money throwing a party for a thousand teenagers at a time. And we bring a bowl into this, a riding bowl into this auditorium. Why? Because we want to reach teenagers and we'll do anything short of sin to do that. Huh. It's true. And friends, this is why we go to Haiti and we go to Colombia and we go to Nicaragua and we go to Africa and we go to downtown Detroit and anywhere in between. Because this is what God has called us to do, to risk much in order to reach more. And that really leads to our next value, this idea of reach. That God has called us to reach people with, with the love and the grace of God, the goodness of God. It needs to come from us, from us to the world around us. Listen, um, over the years, uh, we've gotten so much criticism for being a, a, a seeker-sensitive church. Anybody ever hear the seeker-sensitive church? And people are going, oh, that Metro church. I've heard this a thousand times. It kills me because they get it wrong. Because listen, they say, oh, that, that, that you're a seeker church. You want to you wanna do stuff to reach people outside of the church. You want to somehow engage those folks. And I'm like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you got us all wrong because we are not a seeker-sensitive church at all. We are a seeker-obsessed church. We are obsessed with reaching people that God loves. We are obsessed with reaching the people that God came and died for. Of course we're seeker-sensitive. I'll give them my coat. I'll give them my shoes. I'll hold the door open. Of course I'm going to be sensitive to them because I love them. And I love the God that loves them. And he has called us to be a church that reaches, that reaches with the love and the grace of God. And friends, if we don't build this kind of church, then I will quit and go find another church. I want to be with believers who have the same passion, more passion for the things of God than anything else in our life. It says when we see God and his kingdom, everything else that we worry about, everything else that we seek, He'll fill in those spaces. He'll give all that to us and more. But we need to seek him first and his kingdom. This is why the church exists, right, friends? This is why we exist. Um, here's what the scripture says. Here, here's what the scripture says. It says, G- Jesus is speaking to the church, and he says, um, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, You'll, you'll, you'll be my voice box. You'll speak for me, telling people about me everywhere you go, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. From here to here to here to all the way out there. Everywhere in between. Listen, friends, we are not called to sit around in nice buildings with nice lights and nice sound systems with nice heat and nice cooling systems and nice people and a nice cup of coffee to hear a nice message about a nice God who thinks everything is just nice. That is not the call for God's people. God's call for God's people is to risk much in order to reach 
more. Period. And that's who we have got to figure out how to become. Where people can come and take next steps toward God and with God. Listen, friends, the reason we want to build this kind of church The reason we want people to take next steps, this doesn't mean that, oh, we don't care about people inside of the church. No, 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 no. No, we want to grow people inside the church up. And and here's why. Because they're the ones who are going to take the gospel to the world. Of course we're going to care about our people and our friends and our kids and our families and our people, all that kind of stuff. Of course, of course, of course. But the reason is, is so that we'll mature in our faith enough to take our faith to the world, not to keep it to ourselves. This is the lifeblood of the church. This is the mission of the church. This is what keeps us going. We will be a church that reaches out with the grace and love of God or we will become a church that has no life left in us and we will die just like the 100,000 other churches in America that have died in the last year. And I'm gonna tell you something, friends. I don't want to die. If we aren't reaching, then, then we're dying. If, if we're not going, then it stops with us. And that can never, ever happen. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and I want to be a church that beams that light everywhere in every way we can. And I hope that you join me on this. I hope you build this kind of church. We're going to risk much in order to reach more. And listen, friends, we are going to figure out how to do this together. We're going to figure out how to become one church where we can do this together where everybody feels that they have a stake in the game, where there are no bystanders and there are no just pew dwellers or seat dwellers, but that we're in this together where all of us feel this responsibility toward the kingdom of God. I, I heard this, uh, I heard the greatest little story recently. It's so cute. It was about this city guy. This is a long, long time ago. A city guy, he goes out to the country for a drive in his fancy automobile. And he's out driving down the roads and, and all of a sudden a dog comes out in front of him and he swerves to get out of the way of the dog and he ends up landing his little car in, in a ditch. And, and man, he is, he's stuck and he's kind of freaked out a little bit and he gets out and he tries to push himself out and he just can't do it. So after several efforts of trying to get out, he just gives up. And this was way before cell phones and all that kind of stuff. And so he just sits on the hood of his car just waiting for somebody to come by to help. But it wasn't long before a farmer shows up and, and offers to help. And this farmer had this massive, big old, beautiful horse. And, and, and this farmer gets right to work hitching the horse to this guy's automobile. And, and then after all of the, the ropes were secure and all that kind of stuff, the, the, the farmer yells out. He says, pull, Nellie, pull. And that big old horse did nothing. It, it just stood there. Like a bump on the log, just stood there. And, and then the farmer yells out again. He says, pull, Coco, pull. And the horse just stands there and does nothing. And finally, the farmer yells out a third time, or a fourth time, uh, or a third time, excuse me, pull, buster, pull. But again, the, 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 the horse did absolutely nothing. The farmer waits just a little bit. And then he says, in the loudest voice he can, he says, now pull, buddy, pull. And this time... That horse kicked it in gear and just with no effort at all, just pulled that car right out of the ditch. And boy, the guy driving the car was so happy and so appreciative. But he, but he goes, I don't get it. I mean, you yelled out four different names and it was only until the fourth one that the horse did anything at all. What was the problem with the horse? He goes, oh, no, no, there's no problem with the horse except that the horse is blind. The horse is blind. But, but if, if Buddy would have thought that he was the only one pulling, he would have done nothing. 
He's not a stupid horse. Friends, I am not supposed to be the only one polling. We are to poll together. We're to build this thing to, together. And, and listen, uh, people say this, and this blows my mind sometimes. And you may have said this, and you probably have heard this. People say, well, you don't have to you know, go and go to church if you're a Christian. You know, in order to be a Christian, I mean, you don't have to go and be part of that whole thing, you know? And, and I say, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But you probably aren't a Christian. Because if you were a Christian, if you really had the kingdom of God buried deep in your soul, then you would love what Christ loved. And, and, you will, and you will die for what Christ died for. He died for the church. He builds the church. You see, friends, when we do it alone, when we do it outside of the body of Christ, something happens in our soul. We, we shrivel up, we shrivel up, and we die. Uh, when, when we stand alone, we are easily overpowered. When, when we are outside of the church that God's love, we are easy prey for the enemy. When we refuse to get into the game and pull our own weight, uh, we, and, and, uh, and we refuse to, to serve and to build the kinds of friendships and relationships that God wants in the kingdom, then we miss the power of God at work in our lives. When you come to church and you only spectate and you are only served and you don't figure out how to give back, you will never become fully like Christ in your life. You'll never have the full measure of Christ at work in your life. Our final value is being together on this, where we do life with God together where we do this church thing with God, but together. Here's how Jesus said it. He says this in the the Gospel of John. One of the Gospels that that records his life, that's looking at what Jesus said and did, and he wrote it down. And and Jesus thought this was so important uh, that the the writers of the Gospels wrote this down. Listen to this. John 17, 21, it says, I pray, I pray that they may all be what? One, just as you and I, Father, are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. You see, friends, when they out there see us in here loving one another, caring about one another, serving one another, doing this thing together, the world out there is going to say, man, I want some of that. I want to be part of some of that. I need some of that in my life. And the best way that I could, could possibly illustrate this to you, and it, it, to share this with you, is to share the story, powerful story, of a young lady in our church. Her name is Lauren. Check it out. Right. One, two, three. My childhood was pretty awesome Um, when I was younger. I had great parents who loved each other and loved me and my sister, and they raised us in the church, and I grew up in the children's ministry, and my parents were youth pastors at our little church in Melvindale next to our house. Growing up, my mom always had a passion for worship music that she actually um, passed on to me, and uh, 
every second of the day in my house we were just blasting worship music and she actually was the one that taught me how to sing harmonies and how to pick up on those things and she taught me what real worship is and that you don't just worship with song and music, that you worship with your life. And when I started getting involved in the worship at our youth ministry, Alive, I just saw everyone's relationships and their friendships, and their, Alive was just such a family, and I longed for that. God had provided this door for me, and I kind of just stepped out, and I didn't know anybody, and I just led them in worship, and slowly I started meeting more and more people and um, building these friendships with these people, and I got involved in my life group, and I met these girls that were my age that I could relate to, and share um, my faith with. And I really needed these relationships because over the last few months, a lot has been thrown at me and my life was turned completely upside down. One morning in the middle of class, my principal had come and pulled me out of class and had said that my mom had had a heart attack and that she was um, in the hospital and my aunt was waiting outside to take me there. Um, I got in the car with my Aunt Dawn and um, we drove to the hospital. I was very scared and I felt like I was, I was praying, God please take care of her. Let her be okay and let this just be, you know, something that isn't going to be a big deal and she'll be fine, she'll be able to come home. And right when I got there, um, I saw my dad and he kind of just set me down and told me that my mom had not made it. Um, and at that moment, I just felt like I couldn't believe it. Like, there's no way that she could have been gone because never in a million years would I have ever guessed that she would be taken so early. She was my number one encourager and she was my number one person to go to for comfort and just for guidance. And I just felt so lost and I didn't know what to do. I felt like I had just lost my best friend and the only person that I talked to about everything. Boy, oh boy, what a big girl now. <laughs> I understood at that moment why some people would walk away from God. But for me, imagine going through that without my faith and without my church family, my life group at Alive, all those girls, um, every single one of them was at my mom's memorial. They said prayers and they um, just surrounded me with encouraging words and comfort and my whole family and I definitely felt their prayers. I ended up singing at her memorial, um, singing this amazing song, It Is Well. It had just spoke right to my soul, and I felt like for the first time I knew God was with me, and God had not abandoned me, and that He was by my side the entire time, and that He has my mom, and that it's okay, and it is well. Even though it was a serious time of sadness and grieving, there was this joy that I couldn't even explain. And I know it was from the Lord, knowing that she was in heaven and she was holding Jesus' hand. Coming back to Alive that next Sunday, I um, decided to sing and lead 
the song You Make Me Brave. And it's kind of funny because it was already in the set list for me to sing that. And the last song that my mom heard me sing was the first time I ever led worship at Metro. And it was You Make Me Brave. And the day she passed, I went into her room and I, I was going through her phone and I saw a video that she took of me while she was doing the stream team. And it was me singing, you make me brave. And the words had never meant anything so true in my life. I knew God made me brave, you know, he made me brave. And it was a totally different perspective. It was me going into my schools and not being afraid to preach his, you know, preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus and his love. And now it had taken up a whole different meaning that I can get on with life, with this strength and this braveness that he had given me. And because of him, champion of heaven, he made a way for all to enter in. Which is my mom. And I'm so grateful.
um, it's the power of together. No one, no one should have to go through this kind of thing alone. Or, listen, or your kind of thing alone. Because all of us have something that is a low in our life, a valley in our life. The power of together. Risk much in order to reach more, but we're going to do it together. Amen? So, Father in heaven, um, God, we lift this little church full of your people before the throne room of heaven. In this little slice of earth, God, we want to bring your kingdom to earth. We want to hear your voice. We want to run after you the best that we can. And we want you to use us, God. These are some of the things that we value, some of the things that we treasure. But it's all for your glory, God. It's all for you. Because it glorifies you when people are reached for you. It glorifies you when men and women bow before you. When lost people are found, when blind people are made to see. And and so God, uh, we just want to build this kind of church. We get a lot of things wrong. Um, But God, we want you to use us. And I'm committed to that, God. I'm all in for this. We love you, Jesus. Speak to us, for your child is listening. Amen.